Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody. Derek Van Ness here with the Small Business Big Life Podcast, talking to people who are doing good things in the world and doing well financially while they're doing it. Our goal here is to tap into their insights, their wisdom, their experiences, their scraped knees, and all the stuff that comes with being a business owner and learning their craft, right? So today we're talking to Roman Prokopchuk, and uh, I'm going to have Roman introduce himself to you, but he and I have done a little bit of chatting before the show here. Super cool guy, very experienced, been in business for a while, seen a lot of things. So I think he's going to bring a ton of value to you as a business owner or someone who wants to get into business. And so we're just really happy to have him. Um, welcome to the show, Roman. Thank you for having me on. So I'm a first generation immigrant from Ukraine, came over in 1990 with six other family members to a two bedroom apartment, thought I was going to go in criminal justice, intern with the Secret Service. Uh, and then the recession happened in 2008. So state, local, federal agencies basically froze hiring. I was looking for months and months in terms of job, couldn't find anything, got down and depressed. And then somebody presented an opportunity to me at the gym. They said, after the gym, come out to my car. I want to give you something. <laughs> I took that advantage. Obviously, it could have went different ways, but they opened their trunk. It was still 2008. I guess people gave packets and stuff like that. So he handed me a packet about search engine optimization, like a 50-page packet, and said, learn this and start this for my business. And that's how I kind of got my start in digital marketing. I held three director roles on an agency side, worked with a bunch of uh, Fortune 500 clients, seven-figure portfolios in terms of managed projects. And then in 2012, founded my own agency, helping clients of all ranges of si uh, sizes, uh, big brands, mom and pop shops, brick and mortar locations, because I saw that at those agencies in terms of fulfillment, a lot of the time, the clients weren't getting what they were paying for in terms of value. And I wanted to kind of deliver something that they were paying for and deliver that ROI at the end of the day. And in terms of kind of my personal life as well, uh, my wife and I are foster parents. So since June of 2018, we fostered 25 children and currently have five foster children in our home. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot going on there. So uh, let's let's unpack a little bit of that. Uh, obviously, coming over from from Ukraine with six family members, I'm assuming you know you guys didn't move right into a mansion or anything. Uh, tell tell me what your mindset was coming to the United States. Why why the U.S. Why did, why what prompted all that? That's a big move. Yeah, so it was 1990. I was. Uh turning five years old. And I think then it, the Soviet Union started kind of collapsing. So Ukraine gained, gained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1992. And uh, we were able to get documentation and had a sponsor in terms of a distant family member kind of vouch for us because that was kind of the process. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of it was uh, religious persecution 
under communism, like the state is God, you can't worship God. So we, my family proceeded to go to church during all this. So different things in terms of business and personal stuff were taken away. Um, KGB, like tapping phones, following people, stand, standing outside of church. So it was a lot coming over for obviously freedom in terms of opportunity, as mm-hmm. well as kind of leaving, you know, religious persecution. Wow. Yeah. So, so thanks for sharing that. Cause you know, I, I have some idea, but I haven't heard it firsthand from anybody. Uh, very interesting. So, so you move over here for the land of opportunity. And then of course, 2008, you're probably in your, you know, just kind of coming out to where you're going to spread your wings on life. And, and you find yourself in kind of the worst situation economically that the U S has been in, in a while. Um, what were you thinking at that time? What, what uh, were you just open to anything? Did you have a plan and it kind of didn't kind of fell fell apart on you? Just share that with me real quick. Yeah. So the semester prior, I graduated. Like I said, I interned with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad, held a top secret federal clearance, was thinking I was going to go that route. But then I saw in terms of the lifestyle. So in that agency, you have to move around and switch post every few years and do kind of like the Washington, D.C. protective VP duty once in your career. But if you have a field office director that doesn't like you, they can send you for your next assignment to like Fargo or Anchorage, Alaska, where there's like one other person. And for, you know, three to four years, you have to just stand like stay there in like a sub-zero climate and you have really no say about it. So in terms of kind of starting a life and what I saw for myself, I didn't see kind of uh, uplifting and moving every few years that it would be beneficial for the situation that I wanted out of my life. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. So one of the things I like to do on the show before we dig too deep into your story, because there's there's obviously a lot there and I want to get into some of that because I, I know that you've had a ton of experience that can really benefit the audience. Uh, if you if you had a really good friend who was in business and you could share one piece of advice, maybe they're a couple of years behind you on the road, what's that piece of advice that you would share with them that you think could really impact them or maybe the most important thing? Uh, well, one funny in terms of friends, uh, be careful in terms of getting into business with friends and family uh, mm-hmm. because you need things done. You have processes and oftentimes that kind of relationship gets dangled in front of you in terms of completing work, things of that nature, getting value, getting paid. So mm-hmm. I would if you're starting a business, be professional about it, not just let's get a bunch of friends together. Obviously, you're motivated. But create a plan, create a contract, figure out the division of responsibilities, figure out who owns what amount of company, because eventually if you do scale, you do grow, uh, you know, different interests change, business uh, focus changes, and you may have a headache on your hands in terms of different legal things, which I've experienced um, over time. So really understand what you're doing and formalize it. So obviously incorporate your business, whatever business structure you want, and do everything kind of by the book in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it said, even if it's someone you trust, in fact, you, sh- you even with a contract, you shouldn't work with someone you don't trust because <laughs> it costs too much to be right in court. But, but my experience with that, because I have worked with some family over the years it, or close friends is putting it all in writing just assures that we've all agreed to the same thing. And amazingly, two, three, five, 10 years down the road, when there's a lot of money on the line, people remember stuff differently, don't they? And so having it all in writing, I, I agree hundred percent. I've had that personal experience. So you, you speak as a man who's definitely been through it. <laughs> so very, very cool. So uh, before we jump too far into this as well, if people are interested, you know, you mentioned your resume, 
maybe they can't get to the end of the episode, but uh, for for your services, for what you guys do, where can they find you? What's your your website or the best way to connect with your business if they're interested in some of that? Yeah, the uh, website is novazoradigital.com. Kind of the general email is info at novazoradigital.com. And my name, obviously, Roman Prokopchuk. If you Google my name on, on every social platform, fairly active on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions I can help in terms of digital marketing or anything that I've discussed, I'm always happy to you know engage with the community. Very cool. So so tell me how how things started for you. I mean, you meet with a guy, trunk of a car, that's a little auspicious start. Uh, wh- where did you go from there? I mean, did you just start reading the information and just take off or, or how did that go? Because obviously at the time you didn't know it was going to be successful. So maybe share with me, what was that first starting process? Like how'd you get into business? How'd you decide if it was the right thing for you? And, and how'd you get this thing to ultimately be profitable so you could stick with it? Yeah, so I, it was out of necessity. I guess people say you're the most dangerous kind of animal is the cornered animal. And I had no other options at that point. I was looking for months and months. It started weighing on my mental health and it was just like survival mode. So I figured I had nothing to lose and I did it out of necessity. And then I thought, you know, this is interesting. It's an ever-changing field. Uh, you constantly have to keep learning and developing new strategies and tactics. And I developed kind of a knack for it. I, I then had real world experience and gained wisdom instead of knowledge, because it's nice to have a marketing degree from school. But when you don't have a portfolio of clients, when things go wrong real time in the world and you have to put out fires and deal with stuff, you learn real quick. So funny story, I, with that person that gave me that packet, I was only working with him for about two to three months. So a, another business kind of uh, you know, lesson. So don't do things just on a handshake. And that was my first thing in business because I did all this work for him, but his cat ended up getting cancer. He had to spend $20,000 on the cat and then he couldn't pay me. So what I got out of that was a foot in the door and I took it how I took it. Obviously I didn't get compensated, but it opened me up to uh, gaining a position with a company called LexisNexis and kind of the the rest was history where I ran with, with the opportunity and eventually started my own company. Very cool. So you've been in business for yourself and you mentioned you've been with three really big firms. Tell me, what are the, what are the pros or cons of working with a big firm versus starting your own firm? Because I think those are probably very, very different, right? And offer different opportunities. Yeah. So I worked for a company called LexisNexis internally. Um, They they work in the legal vertical in terms Mm -hmm. of small, medium and large size law firms. That was kind of my first uh, role outside of that, you know, brief stint in terms of getting my foot in the door in digital marketing. And they're a big company. So like their subsidiaries and everything else at the time, it was like a 50,000 person company. So there's a lot of politics, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of uh, internal budget things. So like if you spend your budget in Q1 in terms of like allotment, you may not have enough to reach Q4. So different uh, budget priorities and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard when you have thousands of clients in that scale, servicing them correctly and having a one-on-one experience for each client. So a lot of stuff in bigger companies becomes somewhat cookie cutter. Um, there's a lot of politics and then promotion from outside versus promotion from inside. And it, it, it's just like a lot. So learning kind of corporate culture and taking things from that, but then working at agencies uh, that are smaller, some of which were dedicated, let's say, for pharma and life sciences, 
there it, it's very stressful because the accounts are so big. So it may be, you know, a seven, eight, sometimes nine figure account with the pharma life sciences company because their budgets are huge. And sure. it's one of those things where that's also relationship driven. So usually you get your uh, foot in the door through to get into the RFP process to put a bid in for a specific project. You know, somebody that's a decision maker in those roles, those decision makers often switch you know, careers or get let go or go to another opportunity, I think on average, probably two to three years. So if you get onboarded and you have to hire 20, 30 people to service an account, if that person leaves, the new person is most likely going to bring in an agency loyal to them or somebody that they worked with. And there's this constant turnover and being fearful for your job. But then mm. when you have a smaller dedicated agency or working for yourself, you can be more nimble, pivot and really service clients the way they need to be serviced. Sounds to me like you've thought this through. <laughs> so, uh, so let me ask you this. I mean, there are like you, you've mentioned this a couple of times that these big companies kind of sell a package, right? One size fits all. So if I'm a business owner, my guess is the, are the one size fits all packages? Are they, are they more affordable? Is that why these companies do them? And maybe share with me, do you think those are appropriate for some businesses and not for others? Or do you think the customization is always better? I'm, I'm interested in your perspective, having seen both sides of that. Yeah, it depends what you're do- looking to do online um, and obviously what your budget is. So you may have, like I often say, you have a, you know, a Ferrari or Lamborghini goal, but you have like a Honda budget. So everybody right. wants to grow their business exponentially, but what are you willing to invest in to do so? To, to do so. so you have to have your goals and your mindset kind of grounded and figure out what you really need. So first thing is what you're looking to achieve and what your current presence online is. So if it's awesome, you may be just supplementing it and amplifying what's already been done, but usually that's not the case. You have, you know, a bad taste in your mouth from somebody you worked with. Uh, strategy is messed up. So like in terms of SEO, maybe your website has a penalty and it's not showing up for anything. So diagnosing that, auditing that site, basically getting it to a point where then it could be a stepping stone to actually do the work to make you perform. So there's all these considerations in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a, a lot of those. So, um, so tell me about about your firm, what what's your niche? Where who do you guys serve the best, and what makes you so good at that particular niche? Yeah, so like I said, me personally, that because I'm involved in you know tactics and strategy and onboarding and stuff like that. From my experience, so like I bring my experiences into like every project. So from the legal vertical, from financial services, from farm on life sciences, then you know. Uh, different product-based things, personal brands, and taking all of that, seeing what's worked in some of those agents, uh, some of those industries, and then doing it because a lot of the time, so let's say pharma and life sciences, it's a very regulated industry, like you, you're constant supervision by different government entities. So people don't necessarily do things that are risky in terms of marketing or outside of the box. So sure. introducing different tactics to industries that may not be applying them because I have this wide variety of of experience that I've seen what's worked over the years. Obviously some tactics and platforms change, but I think just the key to marketing is what your core value is, what your unique value proposition, and then packaging that in terms of content creation. And at this point it's audio, video, text, and image, and and packaging it in terms of a delivery mechanism. So 
how are people going to consume it in organic search? How are people going to assume it in a paid ad versus a social media post on LinkedIn versus let's say TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and packaging that content that it's consumable on that platform? Very cool. Very cool. So you bring up platforms and this is something that I've thought a lot about. Uh, in fact, as we speak, I'm uh, so I'm an Android user, but I'm about to get uh, I'm getting my iPad literally today. I ordered it and it's going to be delivered just so that I can get on Clubhouse, which is a new platform. Um, what are your thoughts on different platforms? Some people feel like, you know, you need to spread for all the platforms. Uh, other people I've heard say, you know, identify who your client is. So I do financial services for and, and wealth, wealth strategy, tax strategy for business owners. Me being on TikTok might not be like, that might not be my vertical, right? How do you help uh, people differentiate that or figure out or do you guys feel like, you know what, let's just shoot it across to everything and you create leverage that way? I'm interested in how you guys uh, diagnose things like that. So speaking of Clubhouse, mm -hmm. I was an Android user since Android came out and I switched over to iPhone just to get on Clubhouse. <laughs> so uh, you're with me. Yeah, it, it will not work on the iPad, just the FYI. It's oh, really? only on the iPhone. Uh, uh, I tried my wife's uh, iPad. It It's not in the app store on iPads. It's only on um, cell phones itself. And uh, I installed the app on my wife phone, wife's phone. That got old real quick. So, so then I thought about it. I'm like this. I see the value. Obviously, I have a podcast as well of the audio medium and delivery. And it's just a very unique, like you can network, make deals, connect with people so fast. And I think with Clubhouse, I've already developed a strategy in terms of uh, promoting and amplifying my podcast, other audio content, and how to implement it when the rollout becomes more um, widespread for potential, you know, client campaigns as well. Um, I, I personally, like in terms of like personal in the week that I've been on it, I've gotten more value out of all of my social platforms probably ever combined in terms of the connections that I've made so wow. far. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's funny so, that you mentioned Clubhouse. So I see a lot <clears> of stuff in terms of audio supplement for that. There's like so many, so much knowledge and, and value add in all these rooms and people that I've met and connected with. But like to go back to your questions about, about strategy, I don't uh, basically tell people not to test, but really focus where your audience is online. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you're in B2B, LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads, sponsored ads, pushing traffic to your website to convert it on your website. LinkedIn lead gen campaigns have worked well uh, in terms of the, the person client searcher actually does the desired action in terms of filling out the form on LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn basically notifies you through their ad platform, as well as if you sync it with your CRM, it'll automatically go into your CRM. So your internal sales team can follow up on that lead as well. So I would double down on LinkedIn and Twitter also in terms of messaging, if you're in B2B, mm -hmm. but you know, like you said, TikTok may not be the right fit, but if you're putting informational content, things of that nature, you can still play with the content itself and at least have a minimal presence, but really go heavily and target where your actual audience is online. Right. Right. Cause I like, I have a bunch of clients who are health professionals, right? A lot of uh, physicians, chiropractors, uh, wellness coaches, these types of people and like Instagram's their thing right? That's where those people are. They might be on Clubhouse now too, because Clubhouse literally is dominating my Facebook feed. Everybody's like, it's the, it's the big talk right now. But uh, 
Yeah. And, and for us, like we do a lot of B2B. So, so LinkedIn has been way better than Instagram for me. Right. And I'm pretty sure that that's how we connected was through LinkedIn. Right. So LinkedIn is a, is a good platform for that. Um, yeah. I just wondered your opinion because I've heard different things out there and, and, you know, most business owners feel like their problem is their marketing. We need more clients. We need more customers, you know, all of that. Uh, being a business coach for a period of time, I know that that's not always the case, but there's no question that better quality or more clients is is typically a good problem to have. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about with your business, Roman, what, what are some of the, as you've scaled it out, right? As you've built the business up, what are, what are one or two of the biggest challenges you had to overcome that you could maybe share with us so that we understand you know, how you've approached them and, and been successful with some of that. Cause that is, that is a big thing for a lot of people. Yeah. So what we're still going through, I mean, I'm in New Jersey, so there's still like a, a minimum, like shelter in place, lockdown type thing and still restrictions mm-hmm. in terms of activities and restaurants and stuff like that. But prior to, I guess, three or four years prior to that, my business model has been fully remote with a remote team. So we don't necessarily have overhead from a brick and mortar location. If meetings need to be done in person, fly out, you know, rent a co-working space in the area where that company is, but it's turned out well um, as well. And then uh, leveraging different business relationships that I've worked with in the past, the agency grew by kind of collaborating with other agencies. So per se, Uh, another agency has a client or prospect, but they may not be experts in SEO or in that specific field. They would contact me and basically ask for a proposal. What, you know, what the information that I received, they would get a proposal. If it makes sense, they would put that under their whole bundle in terms of that campaign. Mm -hmm. My agency would fulfill it. And then, you know, the client would pay them and they would pay us. And that chain, there's too many hands kind of like in the cookie jar. So when they lose that client, you lose that client, but sometimes they need to compensate for some losses and they end up not paying you, you know, certain months or certain amount of funds. Mm -hmm. If the remote model is well, that you can't physically see somebody in the office, sometimes, you know, somebody doesn't necessarily, you know, finish a project on time, or if you leverage freelancers and other professionals in that sense that aren't necessarily full-time employees in your organization, you have to be mindful of situations where where you're a services-based business that things may not be done on time. They may not be done right. They may kind of ghost you and just fully disappear. Mm -hmm. And either depending if you paid them upfront or part of it and kind of take that. So really uh, assuming or taking on that full responsibility and accountability for the client, because at the end of the day, the client doesn't care what went wrong, how it went wrong. They don't want excuses. So you have to figure out how to put that fire out and how to, you know, come to, to some kind of solution where you still retain that client and stand kind of in good standing with them as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what I hear you saying there is, you know, sort of the, the duck paddling like crazy underneath, but looking smooth on top at the end of the day, you've got to be the front facing to the client and, and take good care of them, no matter what it takes on the back end. How have you found a balance? Because this is something that I, that I hear a lot, you know, a lot of people want to have VAs, they want to have remote work. They, you know, how do you balance that? Or how do you determine whether you should contract something out or have a full-time person? Like, do you have a process or, or way you think about that? Yeah. Um, anything that you can build out 
in in a, in a reoccurring process of something like, you know, create a client's, uh, you know, social media accounts, because there are still people, you know, traditional businesses that know nothing about social media that refuse to get on that don't see the value in terms of attracting clients. So something as simple as like a process when you're provided all the branded information, the logo company info that you go across the board and create all that. Now that's usually hard to mess up. So figuring out the things that you can automate and don't have the, the biggest, kind of um, issue if something does go wrong. You're not going to basically leave or uh, give somebody a tactical plan or a proposal for like a multi-million dollar possible client. Things that can be automated kind of on the low level that may reoccur for your whole, you know, client base mm-hmm. and don't necessarily impact something that's front-facing, like won't cause a fire. Um, those are the things that I would kind of offset some of the, uh, email correspondences, some of the, um, if making appointments, things of that nature, setting up the client calls, sending client reports, that's really hard to mess up. If you have a formal, uh, reporting system where you either attest a report or you give some metrics and you link to a dashboard. So the things that are fairly hard to mess up, I'm not saying they can't be messed up, but things that have, um, that are kind of like error proof as much as they can be. Yeah. So the top level efforts where it's, you know, when you're dealing with relationships and large amounts of money, when you're managing uh, paid spends, when you're giving people access to accounts that they can literally sabotage where payment methods are tied into it, I wouldn't necessarily give to a freelancer or somebody outside of your organization, Mm. but things like, you know, social media account creation, different things where they're sending you a document and then don't necessarily have access to client assets in in that sense as well. Okay. So, so what I hear you hear you saying is obviously anything sensitive, confidential that could really burn the customer needs to be done in-house some of those more peripheral things, support roles, that kind of stuff. Uh, it, you'll you'll look at contractors for that kind of thing. Yep, and oftentimes if it's a regulated industry, you'll have an NDA or things like, um, in terms of pharma life sciences, if you do anything with social media, there's something called reporting adverse events. So you basically do social media listening on behalf of a brand. So let's say Bristol Myers Squibb, or I worked with Purdue Pharma, CSL Bearing, and basically monitor social media. And if somebody, because people post, post random stuff on Twitter, on Facebook. <laughs> so if, if you're doing social listening, you're using a social listening tool and somebody out of nowhere said, you know, I took Zoloft and now I can't feel half of my body, I just called the ambulance, regardless if it's because of Zoloff or not, if that's mentioned, there's a protocol that you have to contact a consumer watchdog group, you have to formally kind of like send an email internally. And that's like a process that you have to do in the pharma life sciences industry as a whole. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot of a lot to deal with. Thankfully, all I deal with is money, not people's health. (laughs) Yeah, it's a, if you deal like in financial services or another regulated industry, it's tough. Sure. There's like a lot of things that you have to be mindful of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have a different approach. We really start with education and then that way we don't have to promise results or get into, you know, anything specific, but really just try and get get people to where we can create value for them. They can build a relationship with us and then if it makes sense then we can get into the specifics that that seems to be an approach that works for us. Um Cool. So, so where you guys are at right now, uh, what's the big vision? Where, where are you guys headed? What are you up to, you know, for 2021 and beyond? Just kind of share with us, like, what's, what's going on, what you're excited about? 
Yeah. So I think any business, like I think going back to that question about like what you should be mindful of when you start, I guess, obviously bringing in revenue. So you pay the bills, pay your employees, but ideally you get to a point where you start working with the people that you want to work with companies and clients that have your core values that are a pleasure to work with. You're delivering value and they understand that and you're maintaining that business relationship. So really increasing and doubling down on figuring out and attracting the clients that really align with, you know, who the agency is and kind of the core foundation values, as well as incorporating other things. Because when I got into podcasting for my podcast, that was like three and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. I didn't see all the implications that I can utilize for digital marketing. So interviews are great for PR, but they're also good in terms of uh, offsite SEO, in terms of link building, link acquisition, and reputation building. And not a lot of people incorporated that in their strategy. It's a really natural way to do so and really kind of, you know, benefits you in that way. And things that like directly led from it, I've had opportunities to do media buys for companies in terms of like the PRX network, which is the top five podcast network on shows like TED Talks. So Mm -hmm. those opportunities opened up from from staying kind of open-minded and incorporating podcasting, seeing the value of audio. So Mm -hmm. really, really staying on the forefront in terms of emerging technologies and what can really be done to benefit clients with that and trying to be an early adapter. Like I mentioned, just getting an iPhone where I was like talking (laughs) about iPhone users, like they were zombies. And now, unfortunately I have an iPhone because I wanted to get on a clubhouse. That's really funny that you and I are both doing that, but I, I, yeah, I've just heard so much positive about it that uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, I'm a Sprint user and I have an Android and uh, Sprint just merged with T-Mobile and my my service just went through the, through the floor. So I'm looking at Verizon. So maybe I'll get an iPhone. I don't know. It's kind of a, a big switch, but uh, that's, I mean, that's that's really the power of what you do, you know, and and you being in it every day, I'm sure you get to to see what works and doesn't work. If you could just give like from a, from a perspective of uh, someone who's done a ton of, of media, social media, marketing, if you could give a blanket piece of advice to to the, the average business owner out there, what, what's the biggest mistake you see or what's the biggest thing people could do to just like instantly see better results with their marketing? Yeah, be authentic and, and basically portray who you are currently and, you know, what you have to offer rather than portray who you want to be five, 10 years ago or five, 10 years in the future, who you want to be, you know, in the future, who you who you want to be in terms of like the goals you want to reach. So if you're currently uh, a $5 million company, like don't portray yourself or or put images like you're a $500 million company, really show who you are and kind of own it. And, you know, sometimes you, you have pitfalls and setbacks as a business. Sometimes they're kind of in the media or limelight. So taking ownership of that really adds to kind of your PR and then understanding who your target audience is that way. Obviously, if you're talking about social media, having a social media strategy and doing it that way and and really attracting and and getting in front of the the eyes of the people that's actually your target audience. Very cool. So, so you bring up this thing about authenticity, right? Um, And I was going to close with what we were just talking about there, but I really want to dig in on this for a sec because a lot of people are saying, be authentic, be authentic. And then there's the other group that's sort of the act as if, you know, treat, act like you're bigger, better, smarter than you are. Uh, tell me why you, you're so big on authenticity and how do people who are maybe afraid to let some of their flaws show or 
or be a little bit more honest about where they're at. How would you tell somebody to get over that and, and why is that so important? Yeah, I think you have to be real with yourself or who you are as a business, because sometimes people have businesses that obviously that's kind of like your baby. So even though it may be failing, you refuse to kind of like come to terms with that. So Mm -hmm. when you do come to terms with it, you can kind of do a postmortem and figuring out what hasn't worked. What are the kind of insights or the data? What have the audience and the customers said? What's not working? What is working? And maybe you have to reinvent your business, business structure, business model, or you have to figure out if that has to evolve into something totally different and pivot. But the first step is actually coming to terms. So if you're just going to deny it and pretend you're something you're not, you're never going to come to that realization. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because my my business, we did a lot of like growth and wealth strategies. And, and that was like our primary focus for the first couple of years. And in the last two years, as I've started working with a lot more clients that that earn these six and seven figure incomes and their taxes get really, really messy, um, we've discovered how important tax strategy is in alignment with growing their money. And, and we've really had to go that direction. And I would say at this point, tax strategy is an even bigger part of our business than, than people growing their money and, and investing in financial strategy. So uh, very interesting that you mentioned that because it wasn't my intention. It was really listening to the client and what they need. And, uh, and it's, it's proving to be really, really profitable. And we're doing our best to be authentic about the fact that we don't know everything, but we sure do a better job than most people out there. Cause you know, if you know anything about the tax code, it's like this thick and it's not nearly as exciting reading as your favorite book. So, so, and it's all open to interpretation and lawyers and all of that. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty complex document and uh, it's kind of fun and interesting, but uh, yeah, I've definitely done exactly what you're saying. So to remind us, Roman, if people want to know more about what you guys do, um, talk with you, obviously you were pouring out like, quite frankly, just seriously dense amounts of information in a way that's like a ton of, a ton of content there. People are probably gonna have to listen to this three times to unpack all the stuff that's like slammed in there. But how, how do they connect with you? Maybe spell out the website too, because I know it's kind of a unique word. I want to make sure people do find you. Yeah, I mean, Nova Zora means new star in Ukrainian. Obviously, Ukrainian has a Cyrillic alphabet, but the literal translation means new star. And that's N-O-V-A-Z-O-R-A digital.com. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time. Sounds like you guys are doing awesome stuff for clients. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are out there looking to do more good stuff in the world, marketing is definitely a window to the world. Uh, It sounds like Roman could be a a tremendous help. So definitely reach out to him. Uh, Let him know your questions and how he can help. We'll have all the links uh, below and, and ways you can get in contact with him. And I just appreciate you being here, Roman. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, 
you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Benes, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business big life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist. Thank you.